Aquatic invasive species is a problem. We want it to not be a further problem. So it's time to be very, very careful. We're getting into the time of the year that tends to be danger times for the spread of zebra mussels and starry stonewort. Bruce Anspach of Beltrami County is the man in charge of fighting AIS in the county. We'll talk with him next. Fishing pole keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bunion country well, today on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, we get to talk with Bruce Onsbach. He's the Aquatic Invasive Species Lake Technician for Beltrami County. That's not a title you can say real quick, Bruce. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Okay, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Bruce, um, the the county has been involved in a, in a big campaign this spring to really talk about AIS and, and make people aware of it. Um, I mean, I... I've talked about AIS a lot, and I think a lot of people probably know the answer to this question. But in your words, why is Beltrami County taking such a proactive approach? Well, the, once you get an aquatic invasive species in a water body, there's really not a good management technique for them yet. And the best possible thing we can do is prevent the spread from one water body to another. So that's why it's proactive, because we, if you once you get something... There's not a whole lot you can do, or it's really, really expensive. Why the proactive part is actually relatively cheap. Okay. We've heard a lot about a lot of different ones. We heard a lot of Eurasian water milfoil several years ago. Then it it was um, um, zebra mussels. A couple of years ago, starry stonewort, we heard a lot about that. Now we're back to zebra mussels again. That seems to be the big one. And this is, you were telling me before we got on the air, this is an important time to stop the spread of zebra mussels. Yeah, it is. The uh, zebra mussels will start producing young when it gets 52 degrees. So we start seeing zebra mussel villagers, they're called free-floating in the water this time of year. And also people start recreating more because it's starting to warm up and they get out on the lakes more. So people have a higher chance of transporting that water because you won't, for a day-use boater, you won't get a zebra mussel attached to your boat because they just don't attach that fast. Uh, but you could have villagers in your water that you're transporting. So it's real important to make sure that you're getting rid of that water that you, so you're not transporting it from one water body to the next. So. I think that's important to note because a lot of people, you know, they hear, I've got to get rid of the water, my baits, that I you know, I've got to get rid of my baits, and they don't understand exactly why. Yeah, and you don't have to get rid of your bait. Uh, your bait's fine, just don't release it into the wild trouble is you need to get rid of that water because that water could have villagers in it. If you transport it from one water body to the next, you could be transporting zebra mussels into a new water body. So if they, and what we usually tell people to do is bring a cooler of cold water with them and leave it in your vehicle because if that water goes out onto the lake, when you bring it off, you have to drain it. Uh, The only water that you don't have to drain is your drinking water. So make sure you keep a cold set of water in your cooler because if you pour hot water on fish it does the same things it does to zebra mussels it's going to kill them okay so, so <laughs> leech lake yep um winnie 
Yeah. Cass, Bemidji, Red. Very popular lakes, lots of boats on them, and now they all have zebra mussels. That tells me it definitely is being transported by boats. It's not Holy, coincidence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Humans by far are the hugest vector that transports invasive species around. Um, there's all sorts of anecdotal stuff that say this, but they've actually done studies to, with waterfowl now to see if they transport zebra mussels, and they don't. Mm. Um, it's people moving it around, and mm. people can change their habits and stop it. And before, you know, we used to take your fill bucket and put it in the water and then go to the next water body, put it back into the water, so you're transferring water to wherever you go. But it's just a change of habit, and if we change that habit, it can easily be stopped. So, Yeah, and that change of habit, that's, that's where we're at now, change yeah. the habits of what we're yeah. used to. Um, so we can't blame it on the ducks and the loons anymore? No, okay. not zebra mussels. <laughs> All right. So. Um, so, so this is the time to really be careful about that. And, and one of the things, we, we, I think most people are aware of boats, and, I, and more and more people are doing their best with their boats, which is good. Uh, but there's docks and lifts and rafts, and there's, there's yeah. people that forget about that part of it. Yeah, docks and lifts and rafts that actually are moored in the water, you know, zebra mussels can colonize them. And the thing about them is they're hollow pipes and hollow wheels usually on a lot of them, the plastic hollow wheels. Zebra mussels get inside of those and survive and live and breed in there. And then if someone pulls a dock or a lift out and brings it to another water body, that's 100% new infestation because you have a whole colony of zebra mussels, not just one or two that get transported. A uh, little-known law in Minnesota is if you have moored equipment, you need to actually let it dry for 21 days before you transport it to a new water body. Uh, uh, lake service providers know this because they get permitted, but someone that sells their dock on eBay or something may not know that. And okay. it's uh, and uh, the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center had done uh, some research, and they mapped the genome of zebra mussels. So they can actually tell which zebra mussels are related to which ones and how diverse a population is in a water body. And they're thinking a lot of our big infestations that we get from the bigger lakes were done by a large quantity of zebra mussels versus like 10 or 20. So they're talking like thousands came into the water body. Wow. So we're, it suggests, it doesn't mean, it suggests that it might have been by a dock or a lift versus, you know, a boat bringing in 10 zebra mussels. Gotcha. So dock, lift, raft, you sell those. They got to be dry for 21 days. Yes. Before legally they can go into whatever body of water they're going yeah. into next. Okay. And if they don't leave the shoreline and just putting it straight back into the same water body, that's fine. But if it leaves that water body and goes somewhere else, then you okay. got to dry it for 21 days. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the other things. I mean, zebra mussels is what we've heard like 90% yeah. of in the last couple of years. Yeah. What are the other things we need to be watching for? Uh, well, in Belcherami County, we have three invasive species, zebra mussels, and zebra mussels are kind of the poster child because to be an invasive species, you have to harm the economy, environment, or human health. Zebra mussels do all three of those. Mm-hmm. As anyone can tell you that's walked on them now with bare feet, they've cut their feet up. So 
Yes. Um, but we also have Starry Stonewort, which is a huge unknown for us. We don't know a lot about Starry Stonewort. Um, the infestations that we have in Beltrami County are all at accesses, except for one, which is widespread on the north end of the lake. And we also have faucet snails in Black Duck, which I don't think was very advertised very well. But uh, I haven't seen them there yet, but we do did get a confirmation of them in Black Duck Lake. So the DNR designated them as faucet snail infestation as faucet snails. What do, what do faucet snails do? Uh, faucet, if you ever ever heard of the big duck die-offs on Lake Winnie? Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. faucet snails are a non-native uh, species that a trematode has as a host. So the trematode, yeah, back that up. Okay. The faucet snail is a host for the trematode. And okay. That's a good host versus our native varieties. So when the ducks and a waterfowl eat the faucet snail, that trematode gets released into their system and it actually burrows out of their intestines. And if they eat enough of them, they start hemorrhaging because a lot of them will burrow through the intestine and then they end up dying. Uh, and there was a duck die-off in 2008 or 2009 on Lake Winnie where they had like 10,000 waterfowl die-off. And that they found out that was from the faucet snail trematode. Okay. So in high concentrations, they can be very bad. They also breed really fast, and you can get huge concentrations of these snails that will change the environment for other snails and cause some problems for um, the ecology of the water body. Okay. Um, I, I guess that's the, you know, that's the big conundrum. We really don't know long-term what's going to happen with these. We know short-term that zebra mussels are clearing up the water. And making it a little more difficult to catch walleyes, not doing anything to the fish population as far as we know. But we don't know what these lakes are going to look like in 50 years. Yeah, we don't. And, uh, again, the University of Minnesota is actually doing uh, – University of Minnesota's Research Center is actually doing a study right now on the effects of zebra mussels and um, – Spiny water flea oh, okay. on the effects of uh, perch and walleye. So they actually started the study two years ago, and this is going to be the third year of the study. So we're going to get some hard science on the uh, f- these effects on these water f- on the fish and the other things. Uh, but yeah, we don't know. Uh, one of the things that I worry about the most is the starry stonewort that we have in the county because we don't know a lot about starry stonewort. Uh, we don't know how it expands in the water body. We know that if a motor goes through it and chops it up, it will spread that way. But how does it spread naturally within a water body once it gets there? Uh, we're thinking that there's actually we're thinking that it spreads from one lake to the other by humans because we find it at accesses. Uh, there's only male starry stonewort, so it can't spread by sexual reproduction, which is the way it would normally spread long distances. Um, so it's only spreading vegetatively. So that okay. means that either an attack cell gets transported to another place or the ball bills, which are star-shaped, starry stonewort, uh, gets transported to another water body. But we're not sure how it spreads within a water body. And I know in Moose Lake and Lake Kronos, and uh, Moose Lake within Beltrami County, has a pretty good infestation all along the north end of the lake. Um, so the there's a 
bunch of studies going on with that to figure out how it spreads, what effects it has on the ecology of the water. We definitely know it interferes with recreation because it can grow. We saw it 11 feet deep, just solid in a water body. So, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns, and but we know that it's going to be bad unknowns. AIS the topic. Bruce Unspock is the guest. A lot more in a moment. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Bruce Ansbach of Beltrami County is my guest today. We are discussing AIS and battling it. Places that have had it for a while, what are you seeing as far as real negative connotations? Um, well, for Starry Stonewort, it, uh, it's actually going to start growing pretty soon. It's a macro algae, so it's not around all the time. Um, but it's going to start growing about now, and it fills up the whole water column, and it gets solid. So at Big Wolf, um, it's down on a drive-in access area off the side of the road. And in that area, it's it's really thick in that area. Um, so it can bog down your motor going through it. Um, so that's going to do that. It also takes up the whole water column. So any spawning area in that area where fish would use it is going to be gone because of the water columns full. Uh, so bigger fish can't use the area. Smaller fish can fit through it, so it's good for them. Um, but really what we've seen with that is recreational problems. So you're not getting through with uh, any type of boat mm. that has anything in the water. You can go over the top of it with a canoe or something. So, And then, of course, zebra mussels are... <laughs> I could talk about zebra mussels all day on what the problems are, but the big things are, you know, they're sharp, so you start cutting your feet. You get windrows of them up on the up on the shoreline, not walking barefoot in the sand anymore. So there's a ton of stuff that we could talk about all day, but so. Okay. Well, and, uh, you know, we well, we need to be aware of this, right? I mean, we, we, we still need to be aware of this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we got to think about other things, too, that could be threatening us like silver carp one of our main fears for silver carp is the minnows shad minnows look an awful lot like silver carp young okay so if someone brings bait from south where silver carp are at that they caught caught themselves and bring the bait up here and fish with it and then they have bait left and release it into the back into the water which is illegal you're not allowed to do that we could have silver carp up here where they would never get to. I mean, they would never be able to get up this far just mm. because of all the different dams and everything in place. Yeah. So. Okay. But if someone releases it, so we okay. don't want to release bait. That's one of the reasons the DNR always says dispose of bait properly. Gotcha. So. Another thing we, we talked about before we went on the air is there is a defeatist attitude among some people. I wouldn't say everybody, but some people that's – now they're already here now. Uh, you know, what, what, why do we have to work so hard? They're already here. <laughs> well, they're not everywhere. <laughs> uh, there's a small percentage of lakes, and uh, people argue about this number right and left because there's a small percentage of lakes that are infected, infested with invasive species. Uh, the trouble is people argue, well, that, those are our biggest water bodies, the most popular water bodies. Yeah. Well, the 
reason they're infested is because they're our biggest and most popular wine they're, yeah, <laughs> they're the biggest and most popular. And you know, we kind of had a semi delay on trying to prevent the spread of stuff. And right now in Beltrami County, we're at ninety eight percent compliance with the AIS laws. So we still have two percent of the people that aren't either following the laws because they don't want to or aren't following the laws because they don't know. And like one of the things we mentioned too is we Beltrami County has a big advertising campaign going on this year trying to get that message out to that last two percent. So that way um, we can prevent the spread to other things. The other thing I'd say too is, you know, Lake Bemidji has zebra mussels, but it doesn't have starry stonewort, doesn't have, um, you know, carp in it yet. It, you know, it doesn't have all these other invasive species that are out there that could possibly get here that are actually worse than zebra mussels. So we want to get in the habit of practicing AIS protocols and not transporting that water, not transporting mud, not transporting vegetation. So, Okay. Now, we normally look at the lakes and the rivers as the domain of the DNR. Yep. So how does Beltrami County fit in this, and why is Beltrami County being so involved in this? Okay. Well, the, uh, the, the public water is the domain of the DNR, uh, but what the state has decided is that they're giving out $10 million out to the counties, and they split that money up by the number of trailer launch spaces and the number of trailer parking spaces at those launches. So Beltrami County gets some of that money. And Beltrami County actually started an invasive species program about a year before that money came out. So it was very good that they started one beforehand because now that's funded. And we get enough funding to do a bunch of stuff. Um, but, you know, you still have to balance it because that's, the, that's all the money we have for the program. Okay. Um, but a lot of counties have this money now, and they're all doing different types of programs and trying to develop programs that are effective in cost. Okay. So. Um, I do know there is a Beltrami County vote, and mm-hmm. so there's some patrols out there uh, on the water. Um, so I know that, you know, for a long time, Beltrami County has been involved in, in water and water yep. enforcement. Um, is Is this something that you know, uh, a sheriff or a, a county official can can write a ticket on if they – Yeah. Get, okay. Yeah, they, any law – actually, um, what's best is if the law enforcement gets trained. But actually, you, they don't need to be trained in AIS protocols or anything to give a ticket out for an invasive species issue. Um, Beltrami County Sheriff's Department, we do have a couple people trained. Uh, water recreation people have been trained, and they know the laws, and they've gone through some trainings with me and some of my other program, some of the other programs we've done. So they're aware of what needs to be done by each boater. Uh, so they could give a ticket. Uh, and actually, the city of Bemidji could give a ticket, too, if they see something. Uh, but they will probably contact the sheriff's office to make sure they do everything right. Um but, yeah, it's any law enforcement agency out there can give a ticket for aquatic invasive species because they're state laws. And that's what they do is they enforce state laws so yeah. they can give tickets. Gotcha. So, yeah. so how or do you work with the, the DNR on, on some of this stuff? 
the actually the DNR works pretty close with all the counties. Uh, they have a special position within the DNR. Um, <laughs> I can't remember his title. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I actually I talked to him yesterday. Uh, so he they actually do meetings for all the counties too. They okay. organize a couple of meetings a year where the, all the counties will get together and talk about their programs with other counties so that we're sharing a lot of different information so that we can learn a bunch of stuff. Uh, one of the things I usually do too is I like to steal stuff from other counties. Uh, I have two signs already that, I, that I've gotten from other counties with permission really so I'm not stealing it. Yeah. But um, they said, yeah, sure, go ahead and produce it. Go ahead and give it out. So I produced a poster for like a bunch of resorts Gave them out to that that I got from another county. Uh, we changed some of our uh, protocols for the inspection program, watercraft inspectors out there, because of other county stuff that they've run into. So we've decided to be a little proactive and change the way we do certain things. So there's a lot of talk between all the different counties, and most of that talk is organized by the DNR. So... Yeah, they're actually, and then of course I work really close with the aquatic invasive species specialist for the DNR's region for this region. So, okay, so you work with Nicole. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you get into this line of work? Oh, that's uh, that's an interesting story. I actually, uh, so I graduated from BSU, and I got a position. Eventually, I got a position with Itasca State Park in the resource department. And when I was working in that position, that's pretty much all I did was battle invasive species <laughs> coming into, into Itasca State Park. So I spotted knapweed, tansy, that kind of stuff. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I saw a position for a watercraft inspector. Um, I forgot what they call it, but it wasn't supervisor, but to monitor the watercraft inspectors out of International Falls. So then I got with the DNR in 2008. And I worked for the DNR until 2015 when I got the position with Beltrami County, which is really the same thing I was doing in the DNR. Gotcha. So I was running the running the um, inspection program and some other invasive species stuff with the DNR. But with the county, I actually do more stuff because I'm running, and I, I really don't like to say run out. I usually implement the county's AIS um, educational effort, efforts. Okay. So there's a bunch of other stuff I do besides just run the watercraft inspection program. Okay. So, um, it, uh, I imagine this was not, not what you envisioned you'd be doing. I mean, it's a, it's a unique position. Yeah, it is. It is I actually envisioned being a park naturalist okay. at a state park yeah. or something similar to that. And really, in a lot of ways, I am doing that because I'm educating people on aquatic invasive species instead of just on like park issues or forestry or anything else. So, and that's really what I do. We leave the enforcement part up to the sheriff's department to enforce, and really we work with people to let them understand why we should follow the AIS laws, and actually. The, the laws are the bare minimum. You know, the other stuff we teach people to do is drain their water out of their boat motor, which isn't necessarily a law, but it is. <laughs> we find villagers in that water. Yeah. When you drain water out of a boat motor, you find live villagers in it. So we, we teach people this. 
And hopefully with that knowledge that we teach, they get motivated to follow the laws and help prevent the spread. So Okay. Um, how many lakes do we have in Beltrami County? We have 222 water bodies that are over 20 acres each. Okay. So a lot of those don't have public accesses on them. And I'm actually trying to, or one of our programs is trying to find volunteers to actually look at those other water bodies within Beltrami County. But I can't get to them because they don't have public accesses. So someone that is lives on a water body that's curious about what's in their lake and if they have an invasive species, uh, one of the best things you can possibly do is actually join Starry Trek, which is a program put on by... Um, Minnesota, University of Minnesota's extension program uh, that we, we I will teach them how to identify starry stonewort for one plus of other a couple of other invasive plants and then we go out to accesses and actually apply our knowledge and try to find invasive plants hopefully we don't find any yeah <laughs> but uh, then they can look at plants and then they can go to their own water bodies and look at what's in there and if they see something that's weird they can always anyone can always call me up and invite me out to their house and i will go look at their water plants for them okay. to see if they have a problem with an invasive or not so so starry trek when is that yep. that is um august 17th okay. is the actual event and you can start signing up um i don't no you don't have that on your you notes have, no <laughs> Uh, what you can do though is do look do a search for Starry Trek. Okay. So, and we should be starting to sign up. I think near the end of June. Okay. So, so yeah, and it's uh, actually it's a pretty fun program. I like doing it, and uh, you know you get to learn some stuff, get to learn what a p- certain plants look like, and get out in the yeah. sun and enjoy the weather. Okay. The one thing about invasive species, as far as I've been able to gather, there's no there's no um, silver bullet for this no there isn't and uh, it's it's very depressing for me but i was at a convention recently and the keynote speaker said back in 1982 we were in the same position we are now with purple loosestrife and if you don't know what purple loosestrife is it's a wetland plant that will take over a wetland and it will just be solid purple loosestrife and nothing else will grow in there uh, no animals use the wetland for anything because the purple loosestrife grows too thickly. Uh, but now we have a very good bioagent for it, and you don't see solid stands of purple loosestrife anymore. You see like 10 to 15 plants in a big wetland, and they're nice-looking plants. So mm-hmm. um, not a whole lot of things use them for stuff, but you know they're, they're, they do pollinate, and they have pollinators on them. But we found a very good bioagent that we were wise enough now to actually study for 20 years before we released it because it's a non-native. So the, the scientific community knows we need to look at these things close before we release them into the wild. But those uh, those weevils spend their whole life cycle on the sorry on the purple loosestrife, and uh, they do a relatively good job at keeping them down. And the whole management process of purple loosestrife control now is an intern running out to one purple loosestrife stand, grabbing a bunch of beetles and weevils and stuff and bringing them over to another stand. Oh, (laughs) wow. And it's very effective. Yeah. So 
if we could find something for like that for zebra mussels or starry stonewort, it, hopefully we will. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's stuff that can kill that, but it kills everything else in the lake too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's uh, they and they map the genome of uh, zebra mussels now, so they could actually go in there and flip a switch, even though it's not you know hit it. Yeah. To flip a switch and turn them all to males, and they would all die off. But the there's a very small chance that it might jump to other mussels, and then if that got over into the native habitat where they actually serve a really good purpose and wipe them all out, that's it's not something that we are comfortable with. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. So, it's so complicated. Yeah, so it is very, very complicated. And the research center is doing all sorts of stuff on, like, bacterias and other things that are affecting the zebra mussels now in this area. And maybe they might find something that, you know, given a little push, might be very effective at managing starry stonewort. There are zebra mussels. Yeah. Got a lot of different uh, invasive species rolling around my head. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to make people aware of before we wrap this thing up? Um, the biggest things that pe- that people should realize is it's people spreading the thing, spreading these things around, and it's going to be people that need to stop the spread. And the easiest thing you can do is learn, you know, the basics, you know. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize too is that, you know, aquariums and your pets don't release those into the wild. <laughs> mm. The the way uh, Eurasian water milfoil was released into the wilderness is because someone didn't want it for their aquarium, and they threw it into a canal in Florida, and it wow. took off like wildfire. So, and uh, a lot of what I hear a lot of times too is like, well, the people just you know that. DOT or some scientist is just going to release it because they wanted to do something. Well, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, like kudzu was brought into the U.S. for uh, erosional control, but it wasn't studied. They just thought it would be a good plant, and it is a good plant for that. But it takes over it. It ate the south. <laughs> That's yeah. the plant that ate the south. If you do a web search, that you're going to find kudzu. But we don't do that anymore. We study something for a long period of time before we will release something new into the into our environment. And uh, a really good thing is there's a little um, uh, I can't I, I can't remember what it is. I think it's a weevil, but there's a aquatic weevil that will eat Eurasian water milfoil, and it does a really good job at taking managing Eurasian water milfoil. Uh, and the and the Minnesota DNR won't bring those in because that weevil is from the east coast, and we have a native one that's real similar to it. So the DNR was looking at trying to figure out why that weevil wasn't doing really good. Well, it overwinters on the shoreline, and it needs to overwinter on the shoreline in the duff layer. And how many people have their lawns mowed all the way down to the shoreline sure. and remove all that debris so that it can't reproduce? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just little things like that that you don't think you're really making an impact because, you know, that's the way it's been done since as long as I can remember. Right. So it's just 
getting this knowledge and realizing what we're doing and make sure that we're not doing something that is detrimental to our own health, really. Right, right. So. Okay. So, yeah, so I might got a little long-winded, long but. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We got the time. Okay. Uh, Bruce Onspach is the Aquatic Invasive Species Lake Technician for Beltrami County. Uh, again, this is a high-risk time for zebra mussels, really the time yep. to, to, to take care and make sure the, the motor is wiped off and yep. everything's dry and the water is taken care of. And, and where would they find that kind of information? Uh, you can find it on our website. Okay. Uh, Beltrami County's website, Environmental Services, and then Aquatic Invasive Species. Uh, you can call me. You can call Nicole, the DNR. Fisheries has a bunch of information, too. DNR Fisheries would have a bunch of information. And we have uh, – Beltrami County has a bunch of little small wallet-sized cards that has the laws on one side, best management on the, on the other side, and also the website where you can find decontamination machines. So that's the other thing, too, that uh, – should have mentioned because this is very important if you're going to another water body within four days you really need to flush out your internal lines with hot water and these decon units can do it you can do it at home too just get hot tap water big bucket of hot tap water and pour it into your live well and bilge to flush out all that stuff that is down in the water down in your lines and then hot water does wonders because uh, the aquatic stuff is lives in a very narrow uh, temperature range, and you throw 120 degree water in there, that shocks them and dies them. Anyone that's seen you throw hot water on minnows knows what hot water can do. Right. So. <laughs> okay. Bruce Onspach, once again, joining us. Bruce, thank you for taking the time to come in and share with us today. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks a lot. Fishing, bon bon in country.